80 years ago today, the United States Navy was picking up the pieces following an epic battle against the Imperial Japanese Navy 3,000 miles west of here at Midway Island. Rescue planes were still plucking the last survivors out of the sea. The wounded were being treated in Honolulu, and there was fervent regrouping and resupplying going on in preparation for the next battle. One such battle happened three years later near Okinawa. The target was the USS Laffey, a battle-hardened destroyer. And the ship had seen a lot of combat against the Japanese in her two years of service, but nothing prepared the crew for 80 minutes of sheer hell as they were repeatedly attacked by kamikaze aircraft, 22 of them. 22 Japanese airmen lost trying to sink one little destroyer. Man, they must have really been desperate. They didn't succeed, though. Laffey became known as the ship that would not die, and you can go see her even today because she's a national historic landmark in North Carolina. Hers is a story that sets us up for another epic battle, a battle that Jesus stepped into in our reading from Luke. The action comes moments after Jesus calms the stormy wind and waves on the lake at Galilee. And after coming onto shore, he enters uncharted territory, the land of the Gerasens. Sounds ominous, doesn't it? Who were the Gerasens? Who were these people? They don't exist anymore. But Gerasa was a community on the eastern shore of Galilee, and the people there were probably descendants of some other Gentile community from long ago. It was pagan land. According to what we have written, Jesus didn't venture very far east beyond the lake. We don't hear of him going into Jordan or Syria. But Gerasa is within sight if you're on the lake. And in fact, I took this picture from our boat in the direction of where our story in the gospel takes place today. Luke and Mark portray this area as a dismal place where darkness and evil lurked. And as we hear from Luke, when Jesus had stepped out onto land, there he is, <laughs> he was met by a man from the city who had demons. The guy was in bad shape. He was a streaker who hung out in the graveyard. The people of Gerasa tried to keep this guy under lock and key, but he repeatedly broke free. He was a crazy man. And as Jesus and his disciples haul their boat onto shore, Jesus comes face to face with this deranged demoniac. I like that word, don't you? Demoniac or demoniac, I don't know, however you want to pronounce it. It's a scary situation, no doubt. And Luke says this guy's name was Legion because many demons were living in this one man. Now, every Bible study you've ever been to and every preacher preaching on this text has to bring up that a legion was a 
was a, a unit of Roman soldiers, 6,000 troops, right? This is to give you some context as to, as to how many demons are in this guy, right? If Jesus had asked this demoniac what his name is today, the demon would reply, Brigade. <laughs> in other words, there's a shocking number of demons in this one person. Imagine the damage done to this poor guy in his mind and in his body. But while Jesus is outnumbered, he's not outmatched. Pay close attention to what's being said here, and you'll find out who's in control of this epic battle. Of course, Jesus is, right? And rightly so. The demons are begging Jesus not to obliterate them completely by sending them into the abyss, that eternal destination of the condemned. You don't beg if you're in control. You beg if you're being controlled. Like a prisoner of war who begs his captors for mercy or a criminal who begs the judge for leniency, these demons beg Jesus to go easy on them. Apparently, it's better to exist in one of these rather than the abyss. Can you imagine? So, Jesus obliges. Next thing you know, the demoniac pigs rush down the steep bank into the lake and drown. Sunk. What the kamikazes were, able, were unable to do to the laffy, the demons did to the pigs. They went down to meet their watery grave. But who cares, huh? These things were just nasty, feral pigs anyways. The Jews wouldn't touch these things. The Gerasens, being pagans, may have eaten them for food. Which begs the question, did Jesus inadvertently destroy some uh, shepherd's livelihood <laughs> with these pigs? You know, we don't know. It sounds like these things were under ownership of some herdsmen that were afraid after all this happened. But we don't hear anything more about these animals or the demons. But the scene isn't over. We shift our gaze now <clears throat> to the man and Jesus. The man is free now. He sits at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. He sits now in the posture of a disciple. The man is ready to hear and learn at the feet of the teacher, the master. This man is ready to stick with Jesus. In fact, he begs that he might stay with Jesus. An interesting reversal of begging, isn't it? One moment, the man is begging or the demons are begging through the man's mouth to let them go. Next moment, the man is begging to stay with Jesus. This all speaks to the reality that Jesus is in control. And what does he say to the man? He says what we would expect him to say for a change. <laughs> he tells the man, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. He doesn't always say that. But this time, Jesus wants him to spread the news about what's happened. The man wants to be a student, but Jesus calls him to be an evangelist. Basically, go and tell those who saw you the way you used to be 
and how much I've done for you. Tell them the story of the sheer hell you went through. Tell them of the one who freed you from the destroyer. It's an epic battle, a story of warfare. The Bible speaks of our struggle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And you can break it down like this. Satan is a destroyer, or is the destroyer. Jesus says he's come to kill and destroy. The Apostle John calls him the angel of the bottomless pit. Make no mistake, the devil and his demons have one goal, to destroy you and me, your friends, and your family. Satan has no constructive purpose of his own. His tactics are simply to prevent God from being successful in his plan of creation and destroy mankind, which for some reason he has hated from the beginning. Think of what the demons destroyed in this man. They destroyed his dignity. He ran around like a wild man with no clothes on, living in the local cemetery. They destroyed his relationships. He was ostracized from his own community. And when cast out into the herd of pigs, what did, they, what did the demons do to them? They destroyed them. And we still see the destructive forces at play in the lives of people we know. Destroying marriages, destroying livelihoods, destroying bodies and minds, destroying faith and fellowship in the church. One attack after another. Verse 29 of our gospel reading says, For many a time the demon had seized him. One assault after another on this man from many demons, a brigade. The assaults of the devil come to us too, sometimes to the point of exhaustion and despair, and we're ready to admit defeat. Sometimes life feels like a never-ending kamikaze attack, trying to sink us into the abyss. But some might ask, are there really still demons roaming around today, lurking in the shadows, waiting to destroy, waiting to devour us? If you're wondering... Are the demoniacs in this world, like this man and Luke, still around? The answer is yes. And whether they actually possess the mind and body of a person, there's remnants of the fallen world passed down since the time of Eden in all humans. Anything we think or do which destroys the mind, body, relationships, our faith in God, are linked to Satan's exploits. But the good news is he's been disarmed at the cross and will one day be destroyed himself. Jesus, you see, is also a destroyer. Thankfully, he hasn't come to destroy us or even even as we deserve it for our complicity with Satan in our sin. No, we hold on to Jesus because his death and resurrection has destroyed Satan's power and delivers us from destruction. We find this in two places. One, we go back to our baptism, right? In Luther's day, he would remind the people that baptism was an an exorcism of sorts. 
And we hear the language of that in the words I say when I baptize people. Remember the herd of pigs and what happened to them. They rushed down the steep embankment and were drowned. Isn't this what baptism does? It drowns the old Adam in us. Adam, who wanted to be as knowledgeable as God and do his own thing and be his own man with his wife. May the old Adam in us, though, be daily drowned and die in our baptism and in our repentance and desire for forgiveness from God. The demons and the pigs weren't drowned to be cleansed of all wrongdoing and forgiven, then raised up out of the water, holy and righteous as we are. They stayed drowned and dead, but not you and me. Which brings us to the second place we see Satan's power destroyed by Jesus. We go to his word. In 1 John, it says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. In other words, God, the Holy Spirit, lives in you. He is more powerful than the devil who roams the world for a little while longer before he is completely destroyed. Like the man who was demon-possessed, who was told by Jesus to return to his home and declare how much God had done for him, we too have a story to tell. At the district convention the other week, I was talking with a colleague, and he's got several visible tattoos. And I asked him what this little one, this little rose tattoo with a name on it signified. And he told me the story of how one of his daughters died, and that was her name on it. And of course, what do you say immediately? You know, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. And he said, no, 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 you know, I, I had this tattoo put on so people would ask, and I could tell them the story of my dear child. Which then reminded me of a little boy at one of our VBSs who got one of those lick on, lick em, stick em tattoo things, you know, with, that he got with his craft stuff. And he comes back the next, next day and lifts his shirt up to show me that he's got his, you know, his whole front torso is covered with these lick on, stick on tattoos. Yeah, he's got a story too. While not all of us have visible tattoos, as Christians, we've each received an invisible mark on us which tells a story. Every one of us was a possession of the devil, not in the dramatic way of the poor garrison demoniac, but bound to sin just the same at birth. Jesus' death on the cross rewrites our stories, though. As his children and students who sit at his feet and learn from him, we are brought to baptism, and we are marked as ones chosen by God and righteous through faith and in, through in, and in him. We bear this tattoo indelibly, eternally. Eighty years ago, an epic battle took place out there in that abyss beyond our beautiful Oregon coast. And the story of it is still told. But we tell the story of an altogether different epic battle. The battle of sin and death won by Jesus Christ. And the victory of that battle that has been given to you and me. And available for all people who will hear it and believe it. So go and tell the story. Amen.